Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. He influenced a generation of performers, and this morning the nation mourns James Brown. He died this morning in Atlanta. Brown won three Grammys, including a Lifetime Achievement Award. James Brown was 73 years old. James Brown was one of the most unique and revolutionary performers of all time. James Brown was a phenomenal person. He was known as the godfather of soul, the inventor of funk, the grandfather of hip-hop, and the hardest working man in show business. Ow! I feel good! And he sold tens of millions of records. Mr. Brown's influence in music will be felt for decades, if not centuries. Everybody from Prince to Michael Jackson looked up to him. And when I saw him move, I was mesmerized. He was the only one of his kind. Nobody was doing the things James Brown was doing. After decades at the top, the most sampled man in history was still touring in his 70s. But on Christmas Day 2006, he died suddenly in Atlanta, having led an extremely colorful life. Amid whispers of drug and alcohol, Brown served a two and a half year prison term and on assault charges. He's wild, and dangerous, and unhinged. And his death was as surprising as his life. Some people believe James Brown was murdered. He didn't get sick. We got sick, but he didn't get sick. With his passing shrouded in mystery, what was it that led to the death of this truly iconic figure? James Brown's death certificate concludes he died of a cardiac arrest. In other words, his heart stopped. All our hearts stop when we die. The question is why? According to reports, he had just finished an energetic tour and appeared to be in good shape for a man of 73. So, how did James Brown die so unexpectedly? World-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has conducted thousands of autopsies. He's the chief medical examiner in one of America's biggest cities and has been investigating suspicious deaths for nearly 20 years. I have here James Brown's death certificate, and this, along with first-hand testimonies, will help me investigate the real reason this seemingly healthy man died so suddenly. November 15, 2006, Augusta Airport, Georgia, over a month before his death. James Brown is heading home at the end of a grueling year-long tour. Super Frank, manager. He had done at least 90 shows that year, touring in Europe, and then we had a full schedule right after Christmas. James Brown's fourth wife and backing singer, Tommy Ray, who is nearly 40 years his junior, has been by his side for the last decade. He was my father, my best friend, uh, my husband, my lover, my everything. Tommy Ray Brown, he loved dearly. They were passionate lovers and passionate people. They loved life. Back home, 
James Brown is already preparing for his next tour, catching up with one of his many children, his son with Tommy Ray, James Brown Jr. In our home, it was him, myself, our son, Roosevelt Johnson, his personal assistant. It was very close with him. And that was it. That was the family. Roosevelt Johnson, personal assistant. I thought James Brown was the greatest thing since sliced bread. We hit it off and we stayed together ever since. For over 40-something years, I never left his side. Tried not to anyway. For a man of 73, James Brown appeared on the surface to be pretty fit and healthy. He was 5 foot 6 inches and weighed around 170 pounds. He was still working hard and still touring after a career spanning over 50 years. James Joseph Brown Jr. was born in a one-room shack in the middle of the woods on May 3rd, 1933 in Barnwell, South Carolina. Reverend Al Sharpton, friend. James Brown's upbringing was tragic. His father uh, was reputed to be very abusive to his mother. And when James Brown was three, she just left. Joe Brown had a gun and said, you aren't taking my boy. And was actually shooting at her and she's leaving. After six years of living without his wife, Joe also left young James and joined the Navy. He never learned to really fully trust people. Because when you're abandoned by your mother and your father, who can you trust? Little James was taken in by his great Aunt Honey. She ran a house of ill repute, a prostitution house. He grew up hustling nickels and dimes, dancing for the soldiers, and getting them to go to uh, the prostitutes. And he learned about liquor. And he learned about women. That's how that became a part of him. He'd wear potato sacks, and he had his first pair of long underwear when he was nine years old. But his aunt predicted his luck would change. That Aunt Honey said to him, you're special, you're going to be big one day, Jane. The whole world going to know about you. That stuck with him, and maybe it was a driving force for him to become famous. James Brown grew up in an oppressive, racially segregated society. So when he was 16 and stole some clothes, he was given a heavy jail sentence. Well, I had 8 to 16 years. 8 to 16 years, that's a long time. But in prison, James Brown formed a gospel quartet and found his unique voice. That was a big changing point, him going to prison, because that's when he cultivated that talent. And, and made it perfect. So when he was given early parole after three years, he was discovered by singer Bobby Bird. They formed James Brown and the Famous Flames, who shot to stardom with a string of hits. James Brown was the pioneer that brought blackness out of the shadow. He didn't modulate his voice. He didn't modify his dancing wildly. He did it all. And people bought it all over the world. One song in particular sealed his success on the global stage. Barney Hoskins, journalist. Papa's got a brand new bag. 
it changed everything. It was, it was a brand new sound. It just came out of nowhere. Papa's got a brand new bag. James Brown's enduring career spanned decades. And to stay at the top of his game for so long, it's clear he made sure he maintained his appearance. For a start, I can see from reports that he dyed his hair for the last 20 years of his life. November 26, 2006. James Brown's house. Less than a month before his death. Tommy Ray is trying to style her husband's hair. You have to straighten it like a, like a perm. And then you dye it and then meticulously roll it in plastic rollers with clips. The hair was absolutely immaculate, it was. I mean, it, we did nothing move. It was like one organism. Dyeing his hair wasn't James Brown's only cosmetic enhancement. James Brown's eyebrows were tattooed on because he wanted perfect eyebrows. I even remember when he had uh, fat sucked out from under his neck when it was getting a little uh, chubby up under here. He wanted to look good all the time. Oh, look how good I look. I'm kissing myself. <laughs> James Brown's small amount of cosmetic work wouldn't have contributed to his death, but it does give me an insight into someone who wanted to remain in control. James Brown wanted to control everything about his music, his show, what he ate, who worked for him. He was a control freak. What can it be a minute? Just wait on And you gotta respect that because he built it. Mr. Brown was the captain, the commander. It was done, and it was done correctly. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, psychologist. James Brown constructed a musician that um, would appeal and that would have longevity. And the question is, is if he's putting on this front, what's he hiding? I think the answer is, given the awful start he had to life, what he was hiding was a sense that he couldn't trust people and was probably a deep fear of being poor again. Taking control of everything led to James Brown earning the title of hardest working man in show business. Constant demands on his body from around 50 years on the road must have been incredibly punishing. He'd say, I'm getting older, I can't do as many shows. But the second we cut back the shows, he'd be on the phone saying, where are my shows? This is what I'm all about. Don't you understand me? I want to be on the stage. I want to give as much as I can. From the word go, I mean, his consuming obsession was his work, was the touring, was the performing, was the James Brown empire. From reports, it appears his impressive dance routines damaged his legs and knees as it's believed he suffered from osteoarthritis. The lining tissue of the joint becomes inflamed, resulting in the joint becoming stiff and swollen. It could well have caused James Brown considerable pain. November 27, 2006. Tommy Ray has spent the last few hours massaging her husband. James was in pain from the arthritis in his knees and from dancing all the years. I had to rub him down six to eight hours every single day. He's a chronic workaholic. He punished his own body over decades. Working a lot harder than a guy of that age should have been working. He was still doing the splits. 
he would be on stage many times in a lot of pain, and it didn't matter because it's show business, and there's no excuses. But not only were the performances exacerbating his arthritis, the illness may have also increased the risk of heart disease. And his death certificate states that he did have heart disease when he died. This is clearly a man who is pushing himself beyond his limits. And I believe arthritis was the tip of the iceberg. You know, we're in a time right now where technology has shown how far we've truly come. I mean, you can order a pizza from your phone. You can use your laptop to connect with family and friends. It's really impressive how easily we're able to stay connected in so many different ways with with all of the different advancements. But one thing has been the same, coloring our hair. The options are either go to a traditional salon, spend lots of time and money, or just grab a box of hair color at the drugstore, which you never quite know what color you're going to get. It almost always dries out my hair. It's just not the best option. But now there's a new way, Madison Reed. It took a strong woman to shake up the hair coloring worlds, and Amy Arrett did just that with Madison Reed, the company she named after her daughter, which is really awesome. And if you're thinking, okay, but how do I match my color? Don't worry, Madison Reed gives you all the tools you need so you can color with confidence. Get ammonia-free, multidimensional hair color delivered right to your door, starting at $22. Visit madison-reed.com. That's madison-reed.com. And now, Autopsy listeners can get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Use code LASTHOURS. That's code L-A-S-T-H-O-U-R-S. The legendary godfather of soul, James Brown, died on Christmas Day 2006. Now, leading forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is investigating the reasons for the sudden death of this iconic figure. So far, I've discovered that James Brown was still performing around 90 concerts a year despite the fact he was 73 and had painful arthritis. But there could have been another explanation for the pain in his joints, and that's the fact that he had high blood pressure or hypertension. High blood pressure damages and weakens blood vessels, causing them to narrow or rupture. This can cause peripheral arterial disease, which may affect the limbs. High blood pressure is a condition often associated with a diet of fatty food. November 28, 2006, James Brown's house, Beach Island, South Carolina, less than a month before his death. James Brown and Tommy Ray are trying to enjoy some time off between tours. We have high blood pressure. Because, you know, in the South, all of it's cooked in lard. All of it is salty. Horrible diet. Delicious, but really unhealthy. It needs flavor. He just wouldn't get that up. So high blood pressure on top of arthritis will not only have caused him a great deal of pain in his knees and legs, but both conditions will have also put considerable pressure on his heart. Therefore... I cannot rule them out as playing a contributing factor in his death. November 29th, 2006, James Brown's house. Tommy Ray is going away for a few weeks. The night I went, I told James, I'm leaving. And then we'll meet together on Christmas Day and we'll have a great Christmas. Other women are around to look after her husband while she's away. When I wasn't there, I had to allow someone else to come in and take care of my husband. And I did that because I wasn't going to lose him and they took care of him good. But it was what it was. I'm not a fool. 
They apparently had an affair when I would leave town. He did not want to be alone, ever. He just had to have some company, somebody with him. Mr. Brown loved women, and he thought every woman wanted him. Period. End of story. Now, the women love you when you get out there. Why do you think that is? Because I look do you think good. That is? You I look smell good. good. I yes. feel good. And you sing good. And make love good. One has to wonder whether that physical intimacy was about, you know, ensuring that he was sexually satisfied or whether it was simply about that feeling of I'm not alone, I'm not being abandoned. Thank you. For most people, sexual activity is good for cardiovascular health, but worryingly, he was taking Viagra. Viagra or sildenafil is normally used to treat erectile dysfunction by inhibiting the enzyme that stops a man having an erection. However, Viagra may have allowed him to push himself beyond his natural sexual capabilities, which would have put extra strain on his heart. I like your enthusiasm. You give me some water with this honey. He didn't take Viagra for sex. He took Viagra for energy. <laughs> he was virile and he could perform, at least that's what he kept telling us, on a regular basis. Oh, he was very girl. He had no problem with it. But if we were really tired on the road, we would take a half of Viagra apiece, and it wasn't for sex, it was for the stage. In my opinion, Viagra wouldn't have given him energy but it may have acted as a placebo on stage. Nevertheless, it reveals a man who is pushing himself on every level. I am particularly astonished to discover that just two years before his death, he was diagnosed with something that would have stopped most people in their tracks. On December 10th, 2004, two years before he died, James Brown was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Mr. Brown was shaken up when he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. No, I know about chemo. I'll lose my hair and I'll lose my libido. No. It's a horrible disease. It's really, really horrible disease. And uh, he was very weak. The prostate's job is to help the sperm survive the passage through a woman's reproductive tract. Normally, sexual intercourse is good for the prostate as it flushes out cancer-causing agents. But sex with multiple partners increases the chance of getting an infection, which in turn can lead to prostate cancer. Instead of opting for surgical removal or chemotherapy, he chose to treat the cancer with brachiotherapy. The implantation of tiny radioactive metal beads into the prostate deliver high doses of radiation directly to the cancerous tissue. Crucially, this method doesn't have a significant effect on the libido or induce hair loss. In James's case, he ensured that he wouldn't lose his hair, his sort of crowning glory, or his libido. His ability to see himself as very virile, very kind of strong, you know, very, you know, very masculine. I don't think that that's a surprise at all because both of those things were central to, to the James Brown construct. James Brown's prostate cancer was very localized and he was given the all clear. However, there is no doubt that being in remission from an aggressive illness would have left James Brown feeling weaker. 
but by all accounts, he didn't let it slow him down. On Christmas Day, 2006, James Brown died in a hospital in Atlanta. But a mystery still surrounds his seemingly sudden death. World-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is trying to piece together the last hours of his life. So far, I've discovered that James Brown had high blood pressure, arthritis, and a fondness for Viagra. He was about to embark on another tour and didn't appear to be a man who was at death's door. December 21st, 2006. James Brown's house, Beach Island, South Carolina. Four days before his death. James Brown has been spending the last month getting ready for his tour. I spoke to him every day on the phone. Hi. He was hanging out with my son. Yeah, no. Listen, he was looking forward to going to work. I'm looking at him and he's a fan. He said he had a little bit of a cough going, some congestion. You do not need to work. He, yeah, he did have a cough and he was wheezing pretty bad. James Brown's cough might have just been a common cold, but the fact that he was also wheezing a lot meant he should have gone to the doctors at this point rather than ignore his symptoms. But at the end of the day, there was only one doctor, and that was James Brown. And he'd say, I know best. This is my body. He couldn't let people know when he wasn't feeling good. Yeah, this is the hospital. I'm too strong to show people that I'm suffering. From reports, I see that James Brown was smoking marijuana to relieve the pain from its aching joints. Nerve receptors for pain are inhibited when you smoke cannabis, meaning that the pain temporarily stops. But inhaling any kind of smoke will have irritated his lungs, which would have exacerbated his cough. The first time he smoked marijuana cigarette, I think he said he was 38 years old. You know, he did uh, use it medicinally. James Brown would smoke marijuana on a daily basis. It relaxed him, calmed him down from whatever he was uh, doing that day. However, I can see from statements of those that knew him that he was also smoking something far stronger and more dangerous. The sedative drug fencyclidine, or PCP, also known as angel dust, which is an incredibly powerful and dangerous mind-altering drug. James Brown had a long history with PCP, but his habit first became known when his world collapsed in the 1980s. 1984, Augusta, Georgia. James Brown's empire reached rock bottom when the IRS hit him for a bill for $15 million. James Brown's major problems came when the IRS started taking stuff from him towing cars and things out of his yard and stuff like that. James Brown's finances were completely chaotic. He bought planes, he bought radio stations, he bought restaurants, and suddenly this all started to catch up with him. The singer had a cunning way to avoid the IRS getting a hold of his cash. James Brown, he had money around his property. He buried money in jars. And to this day, it's still there because nobody knows where it is 
but James Brown. He was also struggling to sell his records. When disco started, his money slowed down. Uh, it's kind of like James Brown was old hat. He wasn't the boss anymore. He was, you know, a veteran. And I think he found that very difficult. Added to that, he was in a tempestuous relationship with his third wife, Adrian. The couple turned to PCP. Look at this. They want to take my world away from me. He started experimenting with angel dust or PCP. This is a really not a good drug. And they sort of fell into this pretty dysfunctional drug-based relationship, which then really caused mayhem in his life. PCP has pain-relieving qualities, but it also affects the way that you perceive reality to the point that you can get delusions and hallucinations. But also, you actually become quite paranoid and quite aggressive. September 24th, 1988, Executive Park, Augusta, Georgia. James Brown's PCP habit and erratic behavior came to a head when he grabbed two of his guns and stormed an insurance seminar. The event was being held next to his office, and he was outraged when he discovered someone had used his bathroom. Coupled with what he was on at the time, it was just too, too much for him. Damn! Who was it? Who was it? I believe James Brown was under the influence of PCP then because he was doing things he normally would not have done. He must have been trying to show some bravado and it went off because he said he didn't even mean to fire the gun. When the police arrived, he managed to escape in his truck, but he was pursued by 14 squad cars. Officers eventually shot out two of his tires. He's wild on PCP, wild and dangerous and unhinged. You know, this is pretty sad and undignified. After two and a half years in prison, he continued taking PCP. But this time, he made sure he kept his habit private. He was in the comfort of his own home doing these things. He went out in the streets. Have a look out there. I'm telling you, there are people out there. PCP made him paranoid of everything and everybody. We knew when he had, when he had, had some because he wasn't the same. Get on it. PCP would show up when he was in a lot of pain. It would be everywhere. I mean, every people would come and leave a big mound outside of our door there, and I'm like, you can't throw it away fast enough. PCP numbs extremities, so it's very likely that he was using the drug to ease that pain. However, it would have also increased his already high blood pressure. So PCP was both aggravating James Brown's pre-existing health conditions as well as disguising developing problems. December 22, 2006, Imperial Theater, Augusta, Georgia, three days before his death. James Brown is hosting his annual toy giveaway, handing out Christmas gifts to impoverished families. He always made a big deal out of the toy giveaway. He always wanted a bicycle for Christmas, and he made sure that was the first toy that he would give out. He also gave away a lot of money. He'd give away $100 bills to children and say, stay in school. 
or to people going through hard times and saying, get yourself some food. It's believed he was accompanied by his personal manager, Charles Bobbitt, and his other personal assistant, David Washington. When I went home to Cleveland, David Washington was his man in Augusta that would come by every day and do whatever needed to be done. He said he was a little bit tired and he left early. And I could hear it was a little bit of wheezing. In the days before his death, James Brown's respiratory problems weren't showing signs of improvement. However, he was still planning a tour and making public appearances and ignoring his symptoms. In my opinion, this was just another example of James Brown not allowing the facade to slip. Added to that, I found evidence that he was likely on the cusp of collapse at any moment. coming guess who we start this thing off join me every week for the michael irvin podcast we'll give you the full mip experience i'm talking everything from football to fashion i will be chopping it up with playmakers headline makers and i am throwing haymakers i'm the mvp of the mip don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. World-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is scrutinizing the godfather of souls medical records, to uncover what was happening to James Brown's body during his final hours. So far, I've discovered that James Brown had arthritis and high blood pressure, as well as a history of smoking the drug PCP. Also of concern is the fact he'd been suffering from a cough that was getting progressively worse. This could be a warning sign that there's something far more dangerous going on. December 23rd, 2006. Atlanta, Georgia, two days before his death. James Brown has an appointment for dental surgery with dentist Terry Reynolds. He got older and his teeth started decaying, and then he just decided to take them all out and get the, the implants. He went through at least four sets of just in the timeline now, and he kept having to get the new implants because the bone is too soft to, to hold the screws, to hold the teeth in. Such an intensive operation, really, for such an old man. I don't even want to tell you what all he went through to get his mouth perfect. He had a million-dollar mouth, believe me. Getting implants screwed into the jaw is a painful procedure which requires general anesthesia. This puts patients in a state of controlled unconsciousness. James Brown had a bad cough and was wheezing, so the dentist would have had to think twice before putting him under. Before proceedings begin, he calls his wife, Tommy Ray. The last time I spoke to him, and he was going to be brand new, smile forever, he wouldn't have, he was really excited about it. He said, baby, I love you, I'll see you tomorrow. That was pretty much it. I didn't ever hear from him again, so... I don't know what happened between that phone call 
and him not being here anymore. James Brown's cough seems to be rapidly deteriorating. So the dentist calls in local physician, Dr. Marvin Crawford, to examine him. And uh, they said the doctor saw all this emphysema and other things in his chest. And he said, you, some, you got a weak heart. I said, Mr. Brown, if I put you to sleep, you might not wake back up. So I can't put you to sleep today. The doctor was concerned for James Brown's health and said, you need to go to the hospital immediately. December 23rd, 2006. Emory Crawford Long Hospital, Atlanta, Georgia. Charles Bobbitt and David Washington rush a reluctant James Brown straight to the hospital. He didn't like hospitals. He wanted, if he wanted to get out of there, he would go. But the doctors diagnosed James Brown with pneumonia. Pneumonia is the inflammation of the tissue of one or both lungs. At the ends of the breathing tubes in the lungs are tiny air-filled sacs called alveoli. They pass oxygen into the blood, but as they become infected, they start to fill up with fluid and pus. This hampers the oxygen from reaching the bloodstream and increases the amount of waste carbon dioxide in the system, resulting in James Brown's shortness of breath. December 24th, 2006, less than 24 hours before his death. He's been given antibiotics to keep the pneumonia under control. James Brown and his team are making various calls to let people know he's in the hospital. Thank you. Roosevelt. I spoke to him that morning when he was telling me the doctors would not release him from the hospital. But he was ready to go. He didn't care. You know, he said, I can, I can do the show, you know, but no, Mr. Brown, calm down. You'll be all right. The last time I spoke to James Brown, he said to me, I'm being released from the hospital tomorrow. I'm ready to go on tour. I'll be there for you. I'm not letting you down. And I said, you better not. And he laughed. And that was the last time I spoke to him. In some ways, James Brown was so aware of the importance of keeping up appearances. You know, right until the end, he, you know, would spin the story. Work as usual. Everything was fine. I just don't think he ever felt he could give himself permission to rest from being James Brown. But that evening, his condition takes a turn for the worse. 10.35 p.m., Christmas Eve. Mr. Bobbitt went and did a couple things. When he got back, Mr. Brown was not doing well. And he was very concerned. He said he felt a burning in his chest. And uh, they told him, well, Mr. Brown, you know, maybe you drink some ginger ale or maybe it'll cool you off a little bit. James Brown appears to be starting to say his goodbyes. Hey, Roosevelt. The last thing he told me was, remember this. I love you very much, and I don't want, I ever you. want you to forget that. I said, I love you too, Mr. Brown, and I'll see you in a few hours. And that was the last time I spoke to him. Just before midnight, James Brown asks David Washington to leave the room and talks to Charles Bobbitt alone. Mr. Brown looked at him and said, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to make it. And he says... What do you mean? You can't leave here. We can't check out to the doctor. He said, I'm not talking about that. 
And Mr. Bobby said, you're going to be just fine. It's not unusual for people to become lucid right before they die. The antibiotics would have been treating the pneumonia, and his IV fluids would have maintained his cardiac output and levels of blood, which will have improved the circulation and helped his organs function, giving him a temporary reprieve. Around 1.15 a.m. Christmas Day, James Brown and Charles Bobbitt finally get some rest. 1.23 a.m. He was laying in the bed and said, Oh, my chest is on fire! It's on fire! I'm burning up! I'm burning up! I feel like I'm burning up. I feel like I'm on fire. My chest is on fire! I'm burning up! And then uh, Mr. Brown kind of sat up on the bed and fell back. And when he did, uh, he could hear him take three small breaths, and he was gone. The doctors try to revive him for another 21 minutes. Mr. Bobbitt said, I don't know if he's going to make it. I said, what do you mean? He doesn't want to do the show? He said, well, they're working on him now. I said, do me a favor, bring the phone and put it next to his ear. I'm on my way home. Just wait for me. I'll be there. I'll be there in a minute. James Brown is not responding, and resuscitation attempts prove futile. He's pronounced dead at 1.45 a.m. on December 25th, 2006. This morning, the nation mourns James Brown. His agent says he died this morning in Atlanta after being admitted to the hospital Sunday for pneumonia. I got a call, and uh, he said he's gone. And I just lost it. I screamed. I just dropped to my knees. I couldn't believe it. Mr. Washington tells me, Mr. Johnson, we just lost the boss. I said, what do you mean you just lost him? I said, y'all know he don't like hospitals. He probably jumped in a cab. They said, no, that's not what we're talking about. We just lost him. My whole world just came smash right down in my bedroom with that phone call. Thousands viewed the body of the music legend Thursday at Harlem's Apollo Theater, where Brown's career took off. At the Apollo, about 125,000 people showed up. In Augusta, there were a good 50,000 people there. I mean, James Brown was one of the greatest entertainers of our lifetime. Everybody wanted to pay respects to James Brown. James Brown's body was embalmed soon after he died and rushed to the Apollo Theater before an autopsy could be performed. When the cause of death appears to be unclear, this seems strange. And things got even stranger. His family are continuing to contest the will, and there are various paternity suits. So over 10 years later, James Brown still hasn't been buried. The family and trustees are unable to agree on a burial site. There's just this total mass and chaos around when was this will signed, and all the children trying to get their hands on whatever money there is left, and you know, he's still not properly buried, and it's a mess. Mr. Brown would want to be buried underground the way he's supposed to be buried. He is still above ground in his daughter's front yard. That is disrespectful. And some people are also contesting the reason for James Brown's seemingly sudden death. 
they believe he was murdered. Legendary singer James Brown died on Christmas Day 2006. But for many, his seemingly sudden death led them to believe he'd been murdered. We went to Emory Hospital where he was. I could tell something was off. It was just weird. Why weren't the security cameras working to find out who went into his room and who didn't go into his room? There are a lot of black holes in the information. And there are numerous conspiracy theories regarding who may have murdered James Brown and why. Some say he was killed for his money. Others claim he was too powerful. James Brown became a world figure. And everybody with him, or that was close to him, the phones became bugged and tapped. And I do believe the government wanted to know who he was talking to and what they were talking about. Because James Brown was a very influential individual. End this call now, all right? But Dr. Hunter is unconvinced by the idea of foul play. In my opinion, it's unlikely that James Brown was actually murdered. To friends and family, there may have been no obvious warning signs of terminal ill health. But I'm in fact staggered by the number of potential reasons for his death. James Brown's death certificate states that he died from a cardiac arrest. And I've already discovered that he was dealing with numerous problems that affected his heart. He was diagnosed with pneumonia, and the infection puts added stress on the heart forcing it to work harder. On top of that, I already know he had high blood pressure, and it's clear from his death certificate that likely led to him developing coronary artery disease. High blood pressure puts added force on the artery walls, making the arteries susceptible to coronary artery disease. This is where waxy plaque builds up inside the walls of the blood vessels, preventing the much-needed oxygen-rich blood from supplying the heart muscle. This buildup is called atherosclerosis. So this is a man with an already fragile heart and clogged arteries, but the death certificate also reveals he was suffering from an illness that would have put his heart at even greater risk of collapse. At the age of 65, his wife at the time, Tommy Ray, took him to the doctor and they discovered he was diabetic and they put him on insulin shots. I believe a key reason for James Brown's death was his diagnosis of type two diabetes mellitus. Type two diabetes develops when the body either doesn't produce enough insulin or it starts to resist insulin, resulting in high blood sugar levels. Not only does diabetes impact immunity and increase the chances of contracting pneumonia, it would have also raised his chance of dying from heart failure. Once he became diabetic, he would call me the blood sucker because I would have to always come and prick his finger and get blood to test with the diabetic test strips. But Roosevelt has his own unscientific opinion regarding the cause of his boss's death. What actually killed James Brown? was the diabetic drug Avandia. We gave James Brown one Avandia pill every morning, like clockwork. And we know 
that's what did him in. Because there was nothing else wrong with James Brown. Nothing. There were allegations that Avandia led to heart attacks. However, I do not have specific supporting evidence in this case. What I do know is that people suffering from type 2 diabetes are at an increased risk of heart failure and heart attacks. Dr. Hunter can now reveal, in his opinion, what may have happened to James Brown's body in the moments before he died. In my opinion, James Brown's pneumonia would have likely developed into septicemia or blood poisoning. James Brown's body went into septic shock, sending his blood pressure plummeting, leading to worsening pulmonary edema or excessive fluid in the lungs. This hampered the ability to properly oxygenate the blood and to circulate that blood to his vital organs. When he clutched his chest and said he was burning up, he would have been experiencing a myocardial infarction or heart attack, which would have been caused by the reduced blood flow and oxygen to his heart. As his heart began to fail, adequate blood flow ceased. As a result, it's likely that multiple organs, including the brain, started to shut down. And he ultimately died. James Brown worked hard to create James Brown. And he spent a lifetime ensuring that Mask never slept. His driven, controlling personality and energetic performances all hid the fact that underneath it all, he was a sick man. The fact he had a combination of diabetes, pneumonia, and coronary artery disease on top of all of his other health conditions meant James Brown's heart was a ticking time bomb. And it was only a matter of time before something lit the fuse. He's just the best entertainer ever. He's, he's entertained so many. He's made everybody happy. You know, he made me happy. He changed my life forever. Mr. Brown's influence in music will be felt for decades, if not centuries. He gave us a gift, a very unique, special gift with his style of music that he created. James Brown was just a remarkable individual. He was a God-given talent. Just the things that I watched him do amazed me. That was my best friend in the world, you know. And I don't think we'll ever see the likes of another James Brown again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcastone.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels' channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter.